You're listening to the Behind the Tee podcast hosted by your favorite club curlers, Rob and Kelly. The show where we share our thoughts on what's happening in the curling world with the internet. But let's be real, we end up talking about football half the time anyways. Can you hear my dishwasher in the background? No. Okay, good. Let's, uh, hey, let's leave that in. That's uh, a little behind the scenes glimpse of uh, how we how we do things. Hello and welcome to the Behind the Tea podcast. As you can see, we have a very professional setup right here. <laughs> so um, let's see, we actually have some curling to talk about this week. Uh, last week, we were talking about how we've both kind of phased out curling uh, from our lives this year. I'm still oh. playing a little bit recreationally, but go ahead. Can I just stop you for a second there? Yeah. Uh, if anyone uh, does not follow us on our Instagram, you should at behindthetea.curling. I just have to say that reel that you posted was hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, as Robert and I was saying, we're not actively curling very much this year, but we did go to our club's open house to just throw some rocks and we decided to have fun with the camera and just filmed ourselves sliding in, yeah, just having fun practicing. And the compilation just really turned out great, especially with the soundtrack. Uh, you put, now I'm not going to say what the soundtrack is. You're going to have to go to our Instagram to go listen to that. And let me tell you, it's going to be your favorite song. Uh, I, I don't agree with that part, <laughs> especially if you're a curler, it won't be your favorite song. But that was me not knowing how to work Instagram. And uh, when I was uploading it, I saw that these real things now, they give you the option of, oh, would you like to attach music to this? And I was like, oh, well. I can't say no to that. What music would we associate with anything curling related? And then the choice is pretty obvious. I'm glad you found it funny because part of me was like, oh, Kelly's going to kill me for this. No, I thought it was great. <laughs> okay, I think good. I already have the soundtrack lined up for our second reel whenever we okay, get to that. Okay, good. I, I have a guess of what it might be. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you know what it is. <laughs> I know. All right. Sorry. To uh, Let's get back to actual curling. I guess we've not done much curling ourselves this year. Uh, I've played a grand total of two games here in, uh, it's now November, and Kelly's played zero. Well, we'll count like half that game. I don't know. We threw some rocks. I I just threw rocks. It does not count. Yeah, we have not played real games very much. And one of the things we were talking about last week was, so what's the deal with this tick rule thing? Like, is we uh, we get it that it's part of the televised game, but I started asking around, um, is it part of our club leagues? Is it part of competitive play and I got an answer because when I talked last week I was I had talked to a few people who couldn't clarify it to me but I have the listeners have spoken Kelly and uh they have told me that it is still it is an official rule but I believe what has been decided uh is that it's really only going to be as a play in for the world championship so whereas the Briar and Tournament of Hearts qualify you for the worlds they will adopt the rule the provincial playdowns to get to the Briar will adopt the rule, but virtually everything else in Canada, my understanding is they will not play by that rule. So our lives do not change. Okay, so then you're saying that the WCF came up with this rule and kind of let the countries decide how they want to apply it. However, it must be applied for any playdowns leading to a world championship. I don't even know if the world said, hey, you've got to do this. I think this is what Canada's decided to do about whether they want to uh, adopt it or not. And I guess what they realized is I'm going to just say that they listen to us. They heard our podcast last week and they said, you know what? These two know know what they're talking about. Let's keep it as a rule for the pros. But why are we bothering with Tuesday night leagues across the country Mm -hmm. where everyone wrecks on guards by accident? And so 
That is, uh, I believe anyway, because it was never made that clear. Do you have the official rule with you? I'm glad you asked. I tried to find it. It was not easy to find. And uh, shout out to my mom, who uh, one of the listeners that sent me this, uh, because uh, she was led to believe that she was going to have to play by this rule because, um, you know, master tick artist. Uh, so here's the official rule and uh, try to stick with me through this. It says for all events during the 2022-2023 season, with the exception of any mixed doubles events, if prior to the delivery of the sixth stone of an end, a delivered stone causes either directly or indirectly an opposition stone in the free guard zone, which is touching the center line to be moved to an off center line position, the non-offending team has the option to remove the delivered stone from play and replace all stones that were displaced to their positions prior to the violation taking place or leave all the stones where they came to rest. <sighs> Whoa. Why do people write things like that? I'm sorry. This is not just a curling rant. <laughs> Why do people get the idea? Let's try to sound as confusing as possible. It's like curling legalese. I, I, oh, I hate it. That's one of my big pet peeves. Let's say you're trying to do a come around draw and you're tight, end up hitting the guard. As long as that guard is still touching the center line, it's okay. You can nudge it. You just can't knock it off the line. But then the non-offending team has the choice to put the rock back or not because in the free guard zone right rule but in the free guard zone if the other team like if you throw a guard and you wanted it out like let's say you're trying to protect a lead and you're just trying to dump it in the house and you come up short and then the other team peels it i'm not sure why they would but you're allowed to be like no 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 like it's at the discretion of the non-offending team as i sound like that rule for new curlers out there, there are some old established rules in curling that people still argue on to this day. Like, for instance, the burnt rock rule. I think everyone has, well, not everyone, but especially at the club level, it's not uncommon to get into debates about this. I feel like this is something with the with the free guard zone rule. If a guard is put out of play, the rock is just put back automatically. I Think but so. is that a thing where because people I think just do it by habit? Is that a part of the rule that the non-offending team has a choice to leave things as is? Because I've rarely ever seen that. I think they do, but it's almost it, ninety-nine percent of the time it's in the um, other team's best interest to put it back where it was. Um, I I believe so. I think it's just that if the other team wrecks on your guard and knocks it out, you probably want that guard put back. I can't think of a situation where you would want it to um, actually go out unless both teams really, really screwed up. Like you screwed up by throwing a guard when you didn't want one and the other team screwed up by peeling it when they were trying to draw around. But here's the thing though, is because the difference between the free rock, the free guard zone rule, FGZ rule, is that the outcome is your rock is now out of play. So you kind of want a rock in play. Whereas with this rule, your rock just moved off the center line so sometimes maybe it might work in your favor especially oh, if you're like guarding true. a rock that's in the house or um you know you want to like block a path or something never thought of that yeah that is true like um me i mean we're, we're trained to put it on the center line but maybe you do want it a foot off the center line off. yeah so maybe that's why they put that clause in like it's all up to the non-offending team if they want to put it back or not but let me tell you there's going to be a lot of arguments that are going to happen at the club level where one skip is going to be like no you have to put it back and the other skip is going to be like oh no i get to decide that's why i'm happy 
happy that at least this is my understanding that it's just not going to be a thing at clubs that we can just because even with my, my super laid back Thursday night league where we're all friends and we all uh, like even we were like, oh, man, what do we, seriously like, you know, I just thought of something because like it brings us uh, like I mentioned before with the burnt rock rule, everyone has a different interpretation of it. So I think it's if the rock is burnt before the the second hog line, like it's automatically removed. But after if it's burnt after it's crossed the hog line, it's up to the non-offending team to decide what they do with it. And I remember, I think this was the Olympic with Homan and Denmark, right? Oh, right. Where Denmark really just like, I think In she- 2018. Yeah, they burnt the rock. Like they were sweeping and just burnt the rock. The burn really had no effect on like the outcome of where the rock was going to end up. And Rachel Homan was just like, take it out. And then Denmark was like, wait a second, you can't do that. But it's in the rule, actually, it's in the rule. And Rachel Holman had full yeah. right to do that. Yeah, I think if I remember right, because man, that was a long time ago. It just, it wasn't well perceived. It was, um, oh, absolutely it was not. It's in the rules. It was, and I mean, to say that, oh, she shouldn't have done that, I would never do that. Well, it's easy for me to say because I play in a recreational Thursday night league. If I were playing at the Olympics, um, and Owen three or whatever they were at the time, yeah, they, they had a bad good. Olympics. If I was feel if I was as under the gun as they were with the whole world watching, I don't. I think I would have done the same thing. I don't know. I I'd, I'd like to say I wouldn't because I didn't care for it either. But I don't think it's fair to go after her for it. What she did was fully allowed under the rule. However, curling also has another like. Um, fair like good sportsmanship rule right where you're supposed to act on like good faith right so she kind of went against that rule because in good faith the rock should have like would have ended up there had Denmark not burnt the rock yeah and even in the heights of competition we've seen people be like okay yeah we know it exactly ended there. let's leave it and so I, I see it from I see both sides and it's like but I can definitely see something similar happen with this tick shot rule I know. And that's why I think the best thing we can do is just throw it out yeah, and not adopt it at all. Exactly. At least for us, because it never would be. A th- it's just going to confuse more and more people. I-, I just I don't have the patience for it. And the funny thing is, you actually mentioned that like the whole burnt stone rule. I think that rule changed slightly as well, because when I was trying to find the that horrible legalese version of the tick rule, uh, I found a whole other PDF of subtle rule changes and there was something about how you're supposed to handle a burnt rock and i tried to read it and i gave up i was just like you know what no i'm not getting paid or sorry that sounds like a complaint it's not against you i was like i'm sorry i don't have the time and energy to try and translate these 15 letter words into something um you know that we can like a that we could understand it's kind of like you know in school when you have a word count to hit and you just fluff your sentences with unnecessary words to make your sentences sound smarter and to also hit the word count i was talking to somebody uh, or to a a student once and she was telling me like uh, oh yeah just use the word juxtaposition and then you're golden oh yeah that's a that's an essay word (laughs) exactly use that and like uh the only problem is it's a long word it counts for a lot of space Mm -hmm. If you're hitting a word count, it'd be better to say, and this, and that, like... Very the run-on <laughs> sentences. Yes. Like that rule for, about the ticks. Interesting to see how that pans out. I do know that, like, um, Curling Canada likes to have its own set of rules compared to the WCF. Although they're very similar, there are some differences, such as, like, I think the burnt 
rock rule and i think there's a couple sweeping um differences as well because you know canada we got to be different <laughs> i think the night where one of the thoughts i've had is just, i'm just i'm done trying to figure it out like if any of us had competitive aspirations then yeah it would behoove us to uh be more uh in the know about what these rule changes are but i have to be honest with you like i just don't care mm-hmm. and uh speaking as club curlers now i mean to read these documents i'm like why yeah. Let's just play the way we're used to. I'm just I'm still going to play how I learned 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm exactly. sorry any new curlers, I won't give you up to date information. Exactly. And you know what's funny? Like I just thought about this is that we never the only time we adopted the one sweeper technique was when we had to for social distancing reasons. Oh, yeah. Like that whole thing about like oh have the one sweeper. I mean, we would maybe put the correct person closer but i think you and i when we were sweeping together even though it made more sense for one of us to be doing it i think we were both like screw this we need our week our midweek cardio here that's one thing we learned last year the game is really long boring and slow when you only have one sweeper so you're only sweeping half the rocks Right. And at least like when you're doing the one sweeper thing in traditional curling, like at least the other person is following down and Mm -hmm. jumps on the rock at any occasion. When we had to play under COVID and uh, because our club adopted those rules of that, we had to be socially distant. So we were allowed one sweeper. The other person had to just stand off to the side. We couldn't even follow you down as you were sweeping. And that was painful. That was freezing, especially if you were like a third. You would sweep what? Two rocks. Two rocks. That's That's it. it. I remember because I was a third and it was cold and it was long. I was the front end and I was cold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least those days are over. So one of the things we're known for here uh, on this podcast is our legendary segues. As we transition from one topic to another. uh, Legendary use of the word legendary is maybe a little bit um, hyperbolic. Look at me going for the big words, like juxtaposition. But I thought you were going for one earlier because you were saying, I think this rule is going to be panned. And I was like, oh, is that Kelly going for the oh, pan-continental segue? I missed that one. Missed opportunity. I have one. Go for uh, it. So we're both very nostalgic people. And here's my question. Are you nostalgic for the Calgary bubble, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> That's a question I never thought I was going to be asked again. Absolutely not. <laughs> Do you know who definitely isn't nostalgic for the Calgary bubble? Kathy Gauthier. Kathy Gauthier. I felt so bad. So that one year under COVID when every tournament was in that dang bubble in Calgary, we had a little running gag last year where we kept forgetting what city it was in. (laughs) Uh, But it was, I felt so bad because Vic and Russ and Cheryl, who at the time were still with TSN, they were all there. But Kathy just, I think, was there from the first tournament to the next one three four months later yeah she was there for like nine weeks straight i hope she got a fantastic bonus i hope she so deserve too. it i know and uh actually quick side note she deserves that as well because uh i saw from the five minutes of curling i watched on tsn now she has assumed the uh new role of she is filling in for cheryl bernard so okay. she's part of the i don't know if they'll have another backup person like for the morning draws with brian mudrick but just Quick aside, I think it's time. I think Kathy deserves the prime anchor position on TSN. I think she's given a lot of time and uh, effort to the channel. And I was surprised they passed her over for Cheryl a few years ago when Linda Moore stepped out. So I think Kathy deserves it. I mean, she's definitely, definitely deserve, like, I'm very happy to see her there. She's like iconic when it comes to curling commentary but one thing i like one person who really shone uh, shined for me last year was brian mudrick and i would have loved to see him in the prime um color spot 
Well, that day will come one <laughs> one day. That's still a very controversial statement at this point. I, know. I remember testing that on a few other curlers last year, and they all thought we were crazy. So that's something I don't think the world is ready for yet, Kels. But um, one day he, he will assume that role. But what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So Kathy, um, I think her biggest qualification is she survived that Calgary bubble all three months of it or whatever it was. And the, re- the reason I bring up the Calgary bubble is because uh, this pan-continental championship that's going on right now is being held in that exact same ring. And just like COVID times in the bubble, I think there's as many fans in the seats as there were back. <laughs> Are you serious? Actually, I'm, I totally believe that. I, I can say it. I mean, I watched for five minutes this morning before I went to work and they were replaying um, this game that actually happened, I think, yesterday between Canada and New Zealand, which, let's be honest, is a foregone conclusion. Go ahead. Is it playing on TSN? Like, where is it broadcast? It is on TSN. Oh, really? Like, with that's Yeah, with Vic, Russ, and, and I nearly said Cheryl, with Vic, Russ, and Kathy. Uh, they are there. They're calling it. All the graphics are from the WCF, so I think like they're using the WCF feed, but I believe they are there. Okay, this Pan-Continental Championship got zero promo. I kind of knew it was happening just because uh, I followed the WCF on Instagram and I saw like some sto- like uh, some some posts about it, but no idea that it was happening. Uh, no advertisement on TSN whatsoever. And this is starting my little rant here about the WCF website. I know we've mentioned or we've talked about curling websites in the past and how like outdated and old they are. If you were to search for the Pan Continental Curling Championship on the WCF website, it would tell you that the whole championship is being played on September, uh, November 6th, 2022. What? That's it. Just, it's like dash 6 November 2022. Then, uh, where we usually have an overview or like the list of teams, not there. Or, oh, the news is there, but the list of teams wasn't appearing. The schedule isn't there. Like, there's no one updating this website. So, we have to resort to our trusted uh, <laughs> source of all facts, Wikipedia. Wikipedia is really good for curling, I gotta say. It never it never steers you wrong. Wikipedia is great for everything. Now, we both... Just since there's uh, like college and high school kids listening to us, since I mentioned that, you use juxtaposition, don't use Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I it, when I was in college, I used Wikipedia as like my first go-to source. As the first thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah. then you go and get, uh, you look at all the sources at the bottom and then you use that to reference your arguments. But um, we both grew up in the 90s. We went through school in the 90s at the you know dawn of the internet and uh, at the time we still had to do our research in like encyclopedias and stuff like that and I remember being taught like don't don't believe anything you read online even in high school like teachers never wanted you to use wikipedia come to college professors are like yeah so on wikipedia (laughs) and like (laughs) by the time we got to college it was like a reputable place to gain like uh we can even predate that we can be like oh that's what they said on ask jeeves (laughs) 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 or even better the encarta cd rom i remember that yeah yeah i had that i had that too it was it was fantastic that was was a big deal back in the mid 90s (laughs) it was Okay, now let's go back to curling. Um, Yeah, curling websites are bad. I, I, okay, we're going to just lose more sponsorship opportunities at every second here, but I think the the Curling Canada website, maybe even worse, 
Yeah. I have several complaints about it. One is that it doesn't seem to fit nicely in any browser on any computer or device that I have. Which you think by now responsiveness is like built into a lot of like website development platforms. Yeah, like I've always felt that like, well, maybe I'm just I'm on an old laptop, but I just bought a new one. And like, I've tried it with Chrome. I've tried it with Safari. I've tried it. It, it just looks very clunky on any browser that I've ever been on. And I find it if you're looking for any particular information, it's really, really hard to do. Especially the scores. It takes so long to go find the championship and then the scores and the results and the standings. I know. And like when we were looking at the when we when we tee up the Briar in Tournament of Hearts, when we go to their websites and try to find the teams they're we eventually find it, but it's not easy. And I'm, I'm thinking most people go to the, those websites to look for the teams, to look for the schedule, or to buy tickets. Mm-hmm. And none of that is right there where you would expect it. So I, I actually dislike the CCA's, or sorry, Curling Canada's website even more than the WCF's, <laughs> probably because I don't go to the WCF's very much. Like, I feel like Curling Canada and the WCF could hire like a social media intern or like a developer intern to just redo the website, it's really not that hard. They do have people working hard at, at, at all of this stuff, but I just, I don't know, something with the website doesn't work for me. Mm, well, hard is a relative term. Uh, anyways, so before we get more hate, let's just discuss what the Pan-Continental Championship is because it is a relatively new championship. I remember, we I think we briefly talked about it last year and we kind of yes, jumped which, on it Yes, by the way, hard. it was my only knowledge of this. Had you not mentioned it last year, I would have been like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> so basically, it's a championship uh, that leads up to the world. So before or prior to last year, you know, you had the European championships, you had the Ameri- the championships of the Americas where basically Canada plays against Brazil to secure their spot, like Canada, USA, and Brazil. And then there was also the Asia Pacific championships. So like Japan, South Korea, Australia's in there, New Zealand as well. Um, for some reason, the WCF decided to merge the Americas and the Pan- uh, Pacific Asia championships into one now the pan-continental which also the naming it's just it's weird pan-continental to me means like kind of all the continents to me it sounds like some kind of breakfast like <laughs> <laughs> like that <laughs> yes that was my thought or some kind of airline so this is my whole thing right like i get the european championships no problem with that totally worth like let's not change that But now it's just like you have Europe and the rest of the world, you have to like fight for your spot. Okay, well, controversial statement here. I kind of like it. Not that I know anything about it. I watched this for five minutes today and then I Wikipedia'd it. But I kind of like the sounds of it because the problem is with not just curling, but with any sport like World Cup qualifying, for instance, side note, we'll have a chat about World Cup stuff later. But geography is always a problem with any sport, even in like the NFL or NHL or baseball, like it's always comes down to where your city or where your country is located on the globe. And that's always going to be a thing. But if we can minimize that, uh, albeit it might be more expensive and but who but cares we're not minimizing anything. It's essentially a mini world championship ahead of the world championship. Right. But what I'm saying is that um, Brazil will never make the world championships under the or go anywhere really under the previous format because they would never, ever, ever beat the United States and Canada. Right. But now they don't necessarily have to. They can get there by beating a team from the other side of the world. It's still going to be very hard for them to do so, but I think this gives them more of a pathway to do it. 
in that sense, I was like, yeah. I kind of like the idea. It's kind of like, it doesn't matter that Brazil is in the Americas anymore. They've got their shot. It's a long shot, but they don't have to take down Canada or the US necessarily. Right. I see your point. I still disagree with it. I think my approach to that problem would be to have a world's A and a world's B division. Yeah, that would be good too. Because like, it's just, in my mind, the world's play downs, wherever you are, it works, you know, start at the, well, for other countries, you just sign up to your national event and you're like the national team. But for other countries, you have like a play down, you have your province, your state, your whatever, then your nationals, and then you go. So like, I know world championships to me just has to stick by region. Once you start mixing region, it's like, what's the point of like a world? I think a more tiered approach with like relegations is a better way to do it. I and know. I think I have a theory as to why they came up with this thing and not just a world's A and B. And it's that I think what they've realized is that they've got a pretty good thing going in the Europeans. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of things in curling that are popular, but the Briar and Tournament of Hearts are, yeah. and I guess trials every four years, are some of the only events that get people to actually come out and the Europeans as well. And one of the things that I, I want to do, like the moment I quit my teaching job, which I plan to do when I win the lottery, uh, is I will just go to the Europeans for a week, depending on where they are. To be honest with you, like go to the Briar in, um, insert random Canadian city here. Oh boy, here comes more uh, backlash. But we've said it before, like with, with all respect to these places, uh, we love our country, we love traveling our country, but that or getting to go to Europe to see all these different countries, I'm sorry, I got to do it once. It was a really cool experience. Go ahead. You know what? Attending the European Championships for a week will probably end Maybe up costing you cheaper. At least for Montreal, our base will be cheaper than you go, spending uh, a week or 10 days to go see a Briar or, or Scotty's wherever they are in Canada. I know. And you know what I also love is that they're in late November. Mm -hmm. I'm so, I hate no, no, November sucks. Let's just be honest. Yeah. It's like it, it gets dark at four o'clock. It, it's just it's a miserable month. It's just like get me to Christmas. I know. And I just feel like get me through November. And I'm like, oh, what a great way to spend it. Unfortunately, for my day job, it's the busiest time of year. So there is no chance I will ever be able to go to these again mm -hmm. uh, until I retire. But just saying like the European championships is what an experience. It's, I think, not only more fun than these the Briar Tournament of Hearts to go to. I don't know. They've got a good thing going with it. And mind you, I've only been once and I thought it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Presumably, it's it's a good format and it's not something that they wanted to mess with. That's my guess anyway, is that a world's A and B would make a lot of sense. But then to drag all the European countries into this, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of this pan-continental. Well, there's a lot of things that should have been done better. Like for one thing is that I know, like, I mean, the game that I had on this morning was um, Kerry Einerson against the New Zealand team. And by the way, it is refreshing to see teams that we don't traditionally associate with curling. And it's interesting that they'll have to go play Kerry Einerson and Brad Gaju. How did Canada select who's going to play in the Pan Continental when we don't even have a representative yet for this year? I think it's just the defending champion. The defending champs? That's Yeah, I don't know if that was if that's an official rule or if that's just what we adopted, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah. What happens if the team breaks up? Well, that's another good question. I mean, and yeah, like last year was the summer of breakups. It wasn't even the summer, it was the spring. It was right after everything that everything changed, and I wonder if this was a factor. What if Tracy Fleury won the Scotties last year? 
I guess it would have been passed on to the highest performing team that was intact. Yeah, I guess so. It's kind of like the first year that um, Curling Canada brought Team Canada into the briar. I remember the defending champions were broken up. They had to really reach. They had to They had to make a team, basically, with John Morris and Pat Simmons and right, Carter right, Reichel. Right. They won. But yeah, I, they would have had to reach for it, I suppose. But just to say, even though it was Canada demolishing New Zealand... And it was painful. Like they were flashing rocks pretty badly. I felt bad. Not their fault. They've never played on this kind of ice. But anyway, there was nobody in the stands. It really felt like the bubble. I, I looked at one point, they were showing a pan shot of the, huh, see what I did there, of the audience. And there were maybe like five people sitting together. And I was like, okay, well, that's another team. They're, they're just there watching. There's another five people clustered over there. They're another team. I would think with Canada playing, somebody would have got come out to watch even though the game was like a write-off because people aren't necessarily coming to watch at least in canada people aren't gonna go to watch canada play people are gonna go watch good games that's what i would want but i don't think that's true i think people just default to canada even if they're like for instance let's say the worlds were coming to well it's actually it's coming to ottawa let's say there's a draw where sweden is playing scotland and um I'm trying to think of uh, another. I totally agree. Like in that case, sure. But this is not right. Canada or Scotland or Sweden. This is Canada playing New Zealand. I'm not going to pay 50 bucks to go see Canada play no, New Zealand. No, I wonder what they're charging, if anything, because um, that's... No offense to New Zealand. But I think that most people are not like us. I think that if we were looking at the draws and we saw that there was a particular draw in the world that had a bunch of good games, we would be like, oh yeah, let's go see that draw versus where Canada is not, not playing. Let's say Canada's off versus the next draw where Canada is playing, but they're playing a team that they're going to beat by just showing up. I would rather see the close games. Yep. I don't have that much of a affiliation with Canada. <laughs> more trouble here. But also too, I think this tournament just was not promoted. No. At like, all. Because I think people, if they had promoted it, I think people would go to see Canada beat New Zealand. Doesn't float my boat, but it does for some people. Some people just want to see their country win at all costs. Yeah, I'm sure and there's a certain there's demographic. no one there, at least from what I saw. Again, my whole research on this pan-continental thing includes five minutes of watching and 30 seconds of wikipedia i don't know maybe everyone was looking at the wcf website and they're like oh well i guess uh, the game's on it on november 6th that's when we go <laughs> but i think you hit the nail on the head is that had you not mentioned this on some podcast last year i don't even i would not have even heard of this and whereas we are the foremost uh advisors on all things curling if we don't know about it chances are the, the rest of the world doesn't either okay i have a quote here to make this tournament sound even less official than it already does. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading off the Wikipedia page here. It says, on October 5th, the Chinese men and women's team withdrew from this competition, which caused the Kazakhstan men's team and the Chinese Taipei uh, women's team to be promoted to the A division. Because there's an A and a B division in this right. tournament. On October 10th, it was announced that an error was uncovered in the ranking system. And it was determined. <laughs> I know. How does this happen? It's like the first time this competition happens. Anyways, it was announced that there was an error uncovered in the ranking system. And it was determined that the Australia's men's team 
and the New Zealand women's team should be promoted to the A division instead of the Kazakhstan men's team and the Chinese Taipei women. So, yeah, I guess Kazakhstan and Chinese Taipei slash Taiwan thought that they had a shot to the worlds, but not. Okay, I see. But you know what? Good for them even just getting to be in an event like this. And I think ultimately what this comes down to is that as Canadians, maybe people feel that this is beneath us, that we now have to like justify our spot in the worlds, to which I say, I have no sympathy. Like, we should have to. Yeah. Uh, the idea that we're that good or something, I mean, like, I don't know. That just screams of arrogance to me. I think we should have to fight for our spot. And it's just seems like it'll be a pretty easy fight at this stage. Anyway. Yeah, it's going to be hard to get people involved because, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like everyone has to fight for their spot, like Canada included. It's just that the caliber of competition in this tournament is not what we're expected to like it's not what we're used to seeing so it's going to be hard to get people to watch but hopefully and we've said this before but hopefully this can maybe translate into the rest of the world getting a little bit better or motivating them Mm -hmm. to get more curlers involved uh this is kind of I guess this is annoying for Gushu and Einer, Gushu, sorry, and Einerson. They've got their seasons planned out. They plan to be crisscrossing the country every week, winning money as they always do. And this is kind of that annoying thing, I bet, that they, a yeah. formality that they have to step out of their schedule to go do. But for the other countries, this means a lot, I think. And for a country to go and get, get absolutely blown out by Canada, they will learn from it. I just hope it translates to better development in these countries and more involvement because that's really what I can't stand is that it's great to see these new federations pop up around the world, mm-hmm. but are they actually building facilities? Are they actually interested? That's a long process. It's not something that's going to happen over one year. It takes a few years, like a lot of these kind of grassroots countries just getting into curling, it really just starts by a handful of people really into curling and someone has a connection at an ice rink and that's how it starts. I know. I have to tell a quick story here uh, that remi- that this just reminded me of uh, because we both traveled this summer. We were both in London uh, about three weeks apart, right? Like I think uh, I by the time I left, you were there something like three weeks later. Which I just real or in British terms, half of a Liz Truss prime ministership. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a new unit of measurement. <laughs> a new unit of measurement. Fortnite is two weeks. Half a Liz Truss is three weeks. Can we just take a minute to talk about uh, an amazing trivia name at our curling club? Every season or so, uh, they host um, a trivia night with the proceeds going to Curling for Kids, which is a charity here based in, in Montreal. And so, you know, we're fans of pub trivia and one of the things the requirements when you go to a pub trivia is to have a catchy team name we've had some good ones over the years yes we have and you came up with a great one unfortunately the theme of the trivia was halloween so we didn't pick this name but it's fantastic i don't remember (laughs) it was something to do with liz trust right oh my goodness It was, uh, my carton of milk in the fridge is older than Liz Truss's prime ministership. Oh yeah, it lasted longer. <laughs> it lasted longer than... It lasted longer than uh, her prime ministership, yes. Yeah, which I thought is just hilarious. I had another one like that. It was, um, my car has more seats than a certain political party, uh, a once very powerful political party in this province. I was saying that after... Oh, yeah. Anyway, so sorry. Just a, a, Yeah, sorry for a, that about, uh, tangent. No worries. So we were traveling, um, actually, in all seriousness, uh, in between those three weeks, the, the world in London changed very dramatically because that's when the Queen died. But I was also in Iceland, and uh, which is one of the most beautiful places on Earth, I have to say. 
And I was taking a tour of this city uh, called Arcuary. I, there's no way I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, but it's the second biggest city in Iceland after Reykjavik. And so I'm just, I'm on a bus because like you have to, if you want to see the waterfalls and all of the beautiful scenery, you got to get on a bus and go out of town. So I'm on a bus and the tour guide is just pointing out different things. And he points to a hockey rink. And I'm like, okay, why is he pointing a hockey rink out in the most beautiful? He's like, oh, we just built that. It's going to be used for hockey and for curling. Amazing. And of course, I go like, oh, yes. Oh, my. and I like, I, I lean to the side <laughs> and I start taking pictures and everybody's looking at me like, what is with this guy? Who cares? Right. But I was, you know what? Good. I was like, hey, a facility getting built. It's a, it's a baby step, but at least it's a step. Yeah, it's pretty common outside of Canada to play on hockey arena ice. Yeah. And presumably this won't be the greatest ice in the world, but um, hey, you know what? Anything that can get people playing and having fun and wanting to go back, I at least want to see more of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why curling is so great too. It like, sure, the ice may not be great, which does not make for great games, but curling is such like a social sport and a lot of people are involved not just to like be physically active or because like they love the game. It's just this kind of community that um, is built around the curling club and just being part of that is really nice. Basically, I want the experience that curling has given us to be accessible to everybody. Exactly. I like that we have uh, for us, it's be it's transition from competition to social. I want that, the choice of whether to be competitive or just to have fun the way we have that choice sort of available to everybody. I think that's why it was kind of easier for us to kind of step away from the competitive game just because we knew that we had this like social curling to fall back on, you know, like we're still playing it. We still get to enjoy everything that we like about the sport just at a slower pace. Although even that, like the choice becomes hard at times because even if we both had competitive aspirations, there's the realistic thing of like, well, you better quit your day job. Yeah, there's real life and life choices right. to be made. All right. So our last talking point for today is titled, what is going on in USA? So that's a very loaded question. Kelly. We can <laughs> yeah. ask that about a lot of things, not just curling. Right. So I like to browse the like curling subreddit. Um, every once in a while just to see like sometimes some good tidbits hop up there it's definitely um, dominated by curlers in the USA so a lot of things are USA based and a lot of new curlers browse there and ask questions about curling and stuff like that so this summer the whole subreddit got taken over by something that's happening between USA curling and the GNCC now I did my best to like read up wait what's the GNCC well, I'll get Sorry. to that I'll get to okay. that yeah I was trying to read up and like reading the threads and like the news stories and what's happening it was so confused thankfully someone did and a Explain me like I'm five what's happening in USA curling. Whoever this is, not the person that wrote the tick rule. <laughs> Definitely not. It first started between Curling USA and kind of like how we have in Canada here, you have Curling Canada and the different like provincial associations, associations and right. every curling club within the association, you, like part of your dues go towards that association. So it's kind of the same for Curling USA. However, in the USA, there's also this um, association called the GNCC, which is the Grand National Curling Club, which is kind of like an association of curling clubs. It's not like tied to oh, a state okay. or anything. It's just a group of curling clubs. We have that here like with the branch, right? And yeah, it's like a Montreal, Ottawa kind of thing, I believe. I think so. But anyways, this GNCC comprises 25% uh, of curling clubs in 
the USA. So it's a big chunk. I still haven't gone down to like what the details are, but there's definitely an issue with dues. And so the clubs that are part of the GNCC are like paying dues to the GNCC, but then also part of the dues are going to USA Curling, but they're kind of acting as like separate entities, but are not. So there's this whole thing of like, what are our dues at the USA Curling? What are they doing for us, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole tiff and basically Curling USA wanted to kick out the GNCC. So clubs had to pick, are you staying with the GNCC or Curling USA? And everyone, no one wanted to be part of the GS Curling USA because here's this where the other layer adds on to this story. So the president of the Curling U- uh, USA is Jeff Plush. Jeff Plush used to be part of the women's, the like the women's uh, soccer association. Um, okay. Like, what's the word? Professional women's soccer association. Like of the national team? Uh, no, not the national team. The, okay, like, but there's like a league. Sorry. All right. Anyways, it's he was involved with women's soccer, and a couple years ago, or recently, there is this thing called the Yates Report. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. No, I have not. It's a report that looked into uh, sexual misconduct allegations within women's soccer. Okay. And Jeff Plush was part of this, had knowledge oh, of no. such sexual mis- not He didn't do anything, but had knowledge of uh, these misconducts and decided not to act upon them. Oh, and he's no. no longer, like, as part of all of this, he resigned. He's now president of Curling and now USA. He takes a curl- and now he has, so he has this GNCC thing. And then so people also now don't want to be associated with Curling USA because of him and are asking for him to resign. It's like a whole mess. And all of this is not resolved. It's still going on. But that's what's happening right now in USA Curling. Oh, my God. You did not expect that story. I did not <laughs> expect that. No, I mean, and you know what was horrible is you were, I mean, I've heard of things like this before of federations fighting and just being petty with each other. And normally it's just a bunch of people like arguing with each other around a boardroom, mm-hmm. which I always find incredibly frustrating because all these d- things that you're arguing about are affecting people that are not in this room right now. They're affecting the grassroots stuff. But as you were sitting here explaining that, I was thinking, well, thank goodness this is not like the Hockey Canada scandal that we've just lived this summer but now like that you draw that parallel to it yeah that that's appalling like i've been sitting here all summer thinking like thank goodness this horrible horrible story that was unfolding all year in hockey does not apply i mean first of all there is we can't be naive and assume that this kind of misconduct doesn't occur in curling as well well but- this is my th- like it's absolutely horrible like especially with what was happening with hockey canada and all of this, but this is kind of becoming co- like when I first read this Yates report thing, I wasn't like, oh, like, oh my God, how horrible. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> there's another sport to add to the list because, you know, we had gymnastics and swimming and like every every sport basically now has issues. And I don't get it because like, I know we're running long here, but when you become a coach, you have to do, you have to pass some kind of ethics test. And I'm sorry, one of the really the only job is here is you don't commit these kinds of things. And when you see it, you report it. And to be in charge of a federation and to uh, try to hide all of this or to downplay it, or worst of all, to pay off the uh, victims of sexual assault with insurance money, uh, a la Hockey Canada, and then I don't know, and then to not have the to have the audacity to suggest that, oh, I shouldn't resign because then it's going to affect uh, local hockey. That was one of the most appalling things. And you know what? I just have to say, because 
quickly about Hockey Canada. There's one thing that they did well uh, with this scandal, and it's that they united the country. <laughs> every major political leader spoke out against Hockey Canada from every... Po- they got Justin Trudeau, they got Pierre Polyev, they got the uh, guy from the Bloc, they got Jagmeet Singh. All of them were speaking out against Hockey Canada. And I was saying, what can you possibly do in this country to get every political leader to agree with you? Not much. You've either had to do something incredibly good or incredibly bad. That's so Canadian that we needed a hockey scandal to unite the country. I know. And I was just thinking, like, thank goodness this doesn't exist in curling. And boy, uh, you ruined that. (laughs) Sorry. Well, I guess there'll be more to say about this. Yeah, uh... stay tuned as things develop. But I think that's it for this week's episode. Yeah we're angry now this season is clearly um us ending episodes on a downer but uh yeah maybe we'll change that next week yeah we'll we'll try to be optimistic bye Here.